should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we can't do any of those TikTok dances. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, who would like to ask for a moment to tell you about his lord and saber, that. My name is Kevin, and I'd like to... <laughs> <laughs> it's all staying in. It's got to stay in. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, who would like to ask for a moment to tell you about his lord and savior, Guy Fieri. <laughs> Benedict! <laughs> who's your favorite listener? Oh, uh, me. I'm a great listener. <laughs> Ooh, wrong answer, Benedict. The correct one is that I love all of our children exactly the same. It's the correct answer. I'm sorry to tell you. You just done fucked no, up. No, I know. But, um, wow. I, um... This is weird. Doesn't it feel weird that I just did an uh, intro question that had such a yeah, short response? Yeah, in 10 seconds. We did it. And, it. and we don't know where to go no, from yeah. there, so I'll just go keep straight going. into the yep, usual thing. <laughs> you probably know, but uh, some of the folks out there, they may not know that this is the show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, start us off. Do you have a hot take for yes, us? Yes, I do, and it is that England wow, has the it, best... It does... Go ahead. Okay, uh, I'm interrupting you, because doesn't it feel weird that we didn't have a long preamble this week? Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's wow, fine, though. We'll, really get, we'll get through this nice and quick. Uh, England have the best women's soccer team in Europe, oh, and that God. is it. I was late recording to this podcast because... Uh, yes, yes, you made us start 40 minutes late did, because yeah. you had to watch because the there was extra time. Game. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened, and I regret nothing. So there we go. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you can't. I regret. Oh God! The, you can't say I regret nothing and not do it in the voice of the hedonism bot from Futurama. <laughs> That's the only appropriate way okay, to do that. I haven't seen that for quite some time. So. Oh God! It's one of the greatest TV shows I, ever yeah, made. I How have, can you not? No, I haven't watched it for like ten years. Though it is the saying. source of all memes. All memes is come it, from Futurama. Though? Or, yeah. No, yeah. I don't think that's true. I've seen memes. The fry take my no, money. No, I'm familiar with that one. Uh, Okay. Are you going to name another one? Or is that how you done? <laughs> you got the uh, Dr. Zoidberg. That is not a meme. Uh, actually, I, and I just did it wrong because I can't do the Zoidberg voice. I don't know why, but I that's one I can't I can't get into character as Zoidberg. Mm. It's just not one I can do. Dr. Zoidberg. Okay. That's the best I can do on it, and it's not No, great. it's not. Uh, but yes, uh, Futurama, greatest show ever made. Okay, that's uh, interesting. Uh, interesting take. Is that your hot take? <laughs> No, okay, no, it's right. not my well, you're hot allowed take. two hot uh, takes this time, I guess. My hot take is that uh, that whole Ivana Trump cemetery tax thing is fake, and you should all feel bad for being fooled okay. by it. Uh, because everyone's just posting this printout from like some state government website. That is real. But if you read it, and I, I know that I'm a lawyer, so maybe that's, may, maybe, okay, maybe people shouldn't feel as bad about being fooled by it as as they are, but it very clearly says 
that this applies to land that is purposed as a cemetery. And I'm going to tell you, as a lawyer, there is, I am 100% sure, a legal definition of cemetery under New Jersey mm-hmm. law that does not apply to the fucking golf course. Yeah. It applies to cemeteries, right? Yeah. There is one person buried on that land that does not make it a cemetery. Now, no, and even if it does, it like it would be like the bit of the land that's a right. grave, right? Because, like, because the... Donald Trump is not... I don't want to say smart enough, but maybe that's the phrase smart enough to be the first person to have tried to do something like that to avoid taxes. Mm. He is dumb enough to be the 100th person to try and fail at doing something like that to try to avoid taxes. Yeah, no, believe that. But no, it's it's not a real thing. He is still going to have to pay taxes on that that golf course that he owns. It's not it's just not a thing. Mm-hmm. Stop passing. I saw I, yeah, I keep seeing people share it and it. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm really tired of it. The lawyer in me wants to yell at everyone for it, and it's just really annoying. Why don't we move on, Benedict, this week? What's on your bookshelf? Uh, this week on my bookshelf is uh, Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology, actually. I dipped back into oh! that, yeah. Um, so that's been fun. It's You know you know I love it. No, Neil I know, Gaiman, I, of obviously. course, yeah, yeah. But yep. So I, I've read it before, but I dipped back into it. So uh, it's just a fun uh, fun revisiting of North Mythology. North? Have you ever read any of his other... I mean, I know that you're familiar with Neil Gaiman. Yeah, yeah, like, you, I you think know, you made me read Good, Good Omens. Omens. Yeah, I think you made me read Good Omens, and I liked it. Good Omens is a fantastic yeah. book. Um, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, it's like one of those things... Go ahead. It's so rare that good satire is done in a way where, you know, every line of the book is a joke, mm. right? Like, the, the only other example I could think of like that is Hitchhiker's mm-hmm. Guide. But, like, Good Omens does that as well. Where, like, everything is is a joke. And it's just, it's a great read all the way yeah. through. You know what I mean? Um, American Gods as well. That's him, right? Yeah. yeah. Another yeah, great yeah, one, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, just... Sandman, no, the graphic novel, which you that, absolutely yeah. should fucking read before it comes out on Netflix. Okay. All right, I haven't read that. But Amazing. I will, but yeah. Fantastic stuff. No, Beautifully drawn, wonderfully written. Good. Um, Norse mythology is fun. It's just, it's lots of, like, short stories basically retelling mm. the the norse myths like nice little fun uh different from marvel interpretation of the norse gods <laughs> so uh yeah hey, highly, hey highly marvel's recommend. interpretation is legitimate yeah, of course. it is All a legitimate interpretation of mythology are legitimate as long as you i mean as yeah. long as they stick to the characters ish um Ish, right? Yeah. All you need is ish. Yeah, yeah. Ish. All, it's all mythology. Yeah, it's all exactly. you need it's, is ish. Everyone was always reinterpreting this. That's what mythology is. It's constant reinterpretation. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's fun, and people should read it. What about you? What's what's on your bookshelf? Uh, on my on my bookshelf this week. Um, okay, this isn't necessarily a bookshelf item. This is probably the farthest I've gotten away. It's the Alex Jones trial. Mm. I don't think you could put that on a bookshelf unless you burned it onto DVDs yourself. But, Benedict, you know I have been obsessed with the Alex Jones trial all week. It's what I've been tweeting about. I've been watching every moment of it. It is glorious in every single respect. It is fantastic. I have been watching the depositions this weekend over again for the second or third time now. Isn't this, Um, am I wrong in thinking that this trial isn't even a trial? It's just to decide how much he's on the hook for, right? right? Well, it it is a trial. Well, yeah, it's just not, not, is is he guilty or not? It's how much does he have to pay? Right, so they have already, he has been defaulted, so he has been found guilty on on defaming uh, the uh, parents of the Sandy Hook victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, the parents, and I, I don't remember if the daughter of one of the victims is also a plaintiff in this trial. I think it's just Neil Heslin and his ex-wife, uh, uh, Bernique De La Rosa, 
who are the plaintiffs on this trial. There's going to be another trial in Connecticut eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, he has already been found guilty. Now, this portion of the trial is the damages portion of the trial, uh, which normally would be, you know, part of the trial. But now, because there's no question as to whether or not he's uh, uh, been found liable, rather, I should say, rather than guilty, um, they're just determining what damages are owed to the victims, gotcha. which is, is great. And so there's still, because Alex Jones's defense is ridiculous, they're still arguing over basically the same things they would be arguing over if this were a regular trial determining whether or not he's liable. Uh -huh. <laughs> so all that stuff is still coming out, and he's still getting just just beaten like a redheaded stepchild in court by all the things he said and did. Uh, but it's it's glorious. It's really amazing. The attorneys for the plaintiffs are fantastic. I want to work with them someday. <laughs> it's just been outstanding. You should check it out. Um, if you want, you can just watch all the, the depositions of Alex and his employees getting destroyed by their own words and actions. I will link them in the show notes for this episode if you want to see them. Uh, anyways, on housekeeping this week, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes and all the places where you can. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen on Twitter if you want to follow us. And you definitely should because I am hilarious. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> updates. That's fine. Updates. Uh, I said last week uh, on the show that I get daily mail ads. I meant to say daily collar ads. Oh, that's... I wanted to just okay. correct that because I heard it when I was doing the edit and it just, you know, I, it annoyed the hell out of me that I said it wrong. Uh, and by the way, little fun fact, uh, if you, like me, are also being inundated by daily collar ads at the moment, which it seems like half the internet is... Um, just fun fact, if you click on them, it costs them more than if you just see the ad. Mm. Fun fact, you can do that. Uh, also, uh, so the stuff going on, stuff going on. Uh, Victor Orban is going to be appearing at CPAC. I bring up because we've covered so much of, you know, Tucker and his love for Orban and all that stuff in the last couple of weeks. Um, and he's appearing despite an incredibly racist speech he made. Yeah, didn't one of his days. advisors resign and be like, this is just yeah. what Nazis would say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of his advisors uh, resigned. Um, Zizana Hegedis. I, Don't even I'm try sure, and pronounce sure, Hungarian. I'm sure it's I not got it wrong. It. Yeah, yeah. Longtime advisor uh, to him, uh, who is a Jewish individual, resigned, calling it basically a Nazi speech. Uh, the Romanian foreign minister also criticized their remarks. Uh, for the record, Orban railed against a, quote, flood of migrants being forced on Hungary and said he wanted to prevent Hungary from becoming a mixed race country and that countries with a high level of racial mixing are no longer countries. Cool. So Matt Schlapp, the chair of CPAC, said, let's listen to the man speak. <laughs> let's bump him up to a keynote slot. <laughs> He said, quote, we'll see what he says, and if people have a disagreement with something he says, they should raise it. So CPAC, no problem with people who are openly against race mixing. Sure. I, you know, really hard to say anything beyond that about them. I don't know how. And also, I just wanted to flag an incredibly fascist Donald Trump speech he made at that America First agenda policy, whatever the fuck it was called the other day. It was basically a, a pretty openly fascist speech, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about overruling governors he didn't like and sending in uh, National Guard, deporting the homeless to tent cities, uh, you know, murdering drug dealers a la Duterte. It was an incredibly fascist speech. Yep. Uh, I, will, I will link to it in the show notes so you can see it if you want. But <clears throat> that's our updates this week. Uh, uh, going through my notes, what's next? Ah! 
uh, inductions to the Spooky World New World Order. We have one this week. Uh, Christopher Wallert, at C. Wallert on Twitter. You are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. Thank you very much for responding to last week's episode and uh, telling me that you disagree with me. That mm. uh, the, the Republican Party would not do the same thing the Nazis did to gay people. Um, I like to hold out a little bit of hope that they wouldn't. Maybe there are people out there who are more pessimistic than I am. But I think they probably are, and I think yeah. they're probably right. Yeah. If you would like to become part of the Spooky World New, Order, New World Order, of course, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending it to others, send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can, drop me a screenshot to let me know, make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. And Benedict, why don't we start it off this week with our perfunctory Mark Levin clip. Yep, uh, that's good. <laughs> why don't we see what Mark had to say? Sure. This is from the July 20th, 2022 of Mark Levin's radio show. Uh, and this is him uh, talking about that vote that was had on protecting uh, same-sex marriage. Mm, why don't okay. we see what he had to say about it? Probably not good things would be my guess. Probably not great. So why did they vote on this? So they could run ads, the Democrats, in this election cycle, saying Ernie Grabatsky, Republican from wherever, opposes interracial marriage, opposes your right to buy contraceptives. That's what they're going to do. Does he oppose it? Because he voted against it, so... Well, okay, to be fair, the vote was only about same-sex marriage. But also, to be fair, multiple Republicans in the past several weeks have said they would be willing to see Loving v. Virginia overturned, the case that makes same-sex or uh, uh, interracial marriage legal in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, multiple Republicans has all, have also said they'd like to see Griswold v. Connecticut overturned, the case mm -hmm. that makes contraception legal in the United States. So... You know, those are fair points that the Republican Party does not believe those should be rights. Yep. So, Nancy Mace, that's her name, from South Carolina, she's not standing on principle. She's a gutless buffoon. Cool. Gonna make All that my new Republican description. That way, are gutless buffoons. And for the record, he is saying that the Republicans who voted in favor of ensconcing same-sex marriage in law. They are gutless buffoons. Those are the 47 cool. he's referring to. Yeah, why? That's the truth. Okay. Now, you've got at least two Republican senators, one, Tillis, who says he's going to vote for it too. And I'm sure he'll make the arguments that the kooks make. Hey! The kooks. Like Nancy Mace. If gay couples want to be as happily or miserably married as straight couples, more power to them. I'm going to vote for this law. Well, they already have a right to be as happy or as miserable as straight couples. That you, Mark Levin, want to be taken away from them. Yeah, that's the thing. What's the problem with enshrining it in law? Because that's what they always say. That's what they always said about Roe v. Wade. It was that it is a decision from the bench. Right. right, and so like, oh, you should have enshrined it in law if you, you know, that's what people say or what Republicans say. Well, it's it's this whole thing where they always have to hide or think that they're hiding because they're really not. Like we all know what they feel about this. We all know. We have read. I believe we've gotten Mark Levin saying he wanted a Bergefell overturned in this book. We're implying so, haven't we? It should be sent back to states. Be, I think he said, yeah, yeah, something along those lines. I think we've heard him say that in an audio clip. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure. I'm sure. Uh, we have, yeah. But it's. They think that they're hiding what they really think because they know that it's 
morally reprehensible to believe the things that they believe and that the majority of people don't agree with them. So they have to at least try to pretend to hide it. I don't think we need any more of that clip. I think that's we're done with it at this point. But Benedict, with all that out of the way, we return to our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin, the only man in the world who has both a Statler and a Waldorf living (laughs) inside of him. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, we read the second half of chapter six, in which you're a propagandist, and you're a propagandist, <laughs> and you're a propagandist. It really is just that this week. It's just, it's that thing that always happens in almost every conservative book we get, right? Where at some point, they have like a list, and they're like, okay, who did I not call a communist yet? <laughs> Gotta toss them all into one chapter just to get them in there, right? It sort of is that going yeah, on. Yeah, no, so- you're not wrong. So where we left off last week, if you recall, this was chapter six, uh, which is titled, I don't know why I don't have it written down so I don't have to flip back through. Propaganda, censorship, and subversion. Right. So that's what this week is is supposedly about. And in the first half of this, we got mainly him complaining about the media was what we got. Yeah. All and that saying sorta, that Marx was a journalist, therefore all journalists Marx are Marxists. Marx is a journalist. Yeah. CNN is therefore Marxist. Basically, yep. that's a... You know, that is a fairer representation of the first half of this chapter than I'm willing to give Mark Levin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so where we begin this week, he says, quote, America's colleges and universities are among the most intolerant environments for administrators, faculty, and students alike who dare to cross any of the various, various intersecting Marxist movements that dominate on campus. Indeed, academic freedom and free speech, once considered foundations of higher education, are no more. Well, they weren't until we fought for them, I would I say, mean, is the first thing. You remember, we've talked about this before, the free speech movement on college campuses. Yeah, it started at Berkeley. That, yeah. that, oh, and it only happened in the 1960s. So, for the majority of the existence of universities, let's just accept, let's accept the premise, which I don't think is actually true, mm. that free speech didn't exist on college campuses until the 1960s. Let's just accept that. Mm. Uh, because I think, you know, the reality is there are spectrums, right, of the yeah. way, how much things are available and whatnot. But let's just accept that it didn't exist on, on campus until the 1960s. And let's accept that after that, we had perfect freedom of speech on campuses okay. after the 1960s and the free speech movement, ignoring the fact that all the conservative universities have very highly restrictive fe- speech codes, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, the places that Mark Levin wants children to go to, if they're going to go to college at all. Um, and so 1960 to 2022, 80-ish years, correct? I'm sorry, 60-ish years. Yeah. Uh, so at some point between then, 1960s, and and that now, free speech has been destroyed on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And given that and they it- have been screeching about it for the last 60 years, Since, that well, there is when, no speech when on was, campuses. Uh, when was... <laughs> The Buckley book written? 50s? 1950s. Right. So before. So, yeah, okay, before. cool. <laughs> I'm just getting to the fact that I don't think there's a good faith uh, argument going on here. There is really absolutely don't. not a good, good really faith argument. But he says next, the intolerance and cancel culture have spread to outright discrimination in hiring, promotion, grants, and publication of professors and graduate students who do not abide the ideology demanded by the campus revolutionaries. A March 1st, 2021 study by Eric Kaufman of the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology found, among other things, and before we get to what he supposedly found, I want to talk for a moment about this guy and the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. 
which is a group that appears to have been found. I, I, I would imagine it's going to be super neutral, this group. I, yeah, of yeah. course it is, Benedict. Of course it is. It appears to have been founded in 2020, uh, for one thing. Uh, and if you go to their website, there's not much to find there. So it actually says on the top in a banner that as of June 2022, we are currently posting most new material at csicenter.com okay. rather than the current website, which is... Uh, or cpsicenter.org, which is the current website. But if you try to go to cpsicenter.com, it's a dead URL. There's nothing there. Cool, yep. So you, you can't even follow it and try and figure out what they're doing. Um, based on their social media and the About Us page, this whole organization basically appears to be just five disaffected conservatives, three of whom are professors who just gripe about academia. That's what it is. Okay. Um, the most recent report on their reports page is from May 30th, 2022, entitled Born This Way? Question mark. The Rise of LGBT as a Social and Political Identity. You can take a guess at what that contains, can't you? Uh, the hate speech. <laughs> yeah. Another is titled The Accuracy of Stereotypes, colon, Data and Implications, which argues, legitimately argues, that stereotypes are about 50% correct. Right. Right. Yeah, look, we give it 50-50, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, so there's, there's you know, a handful of these quote-unquote studies on their website. Of course, none of which are peer-reviewed, because why would they engage in any of that process? Uh, but uh, they're, they're just pseudo-academic shitposts. That's mm -hmm. what they are. There's much more activity on the website on the blogs portion of their website, where they have dozens of articles posted. And out of those dozens of articles, there are a total of... 10 comments on the articles because of course they're comments enabled you can go in and put them in if you want how many of them are from you now <laughs> <laughs> zero the majority of those comments though uh, are what are called pingbacks which are for some reason public facing and if you've never run a website cites cites yeah, your stuff elsewhere when yeah. another website cites to your url you get a pingback and usually that's on the back end of the website you see that the the people who view the website don't see that but for some reason, they have those appearing as comments to the articles, which is strange to me. Because mm. I've run multiple websites, Benedict knows, and I, I've you. done all this sort of... Actually, I might not have made it so that our website doesn't have that. I don't know. I I've, seen, I know I've seen that before. I've seen pingbacks be I've seen before. it, but usually they're not, they're not listed as comments. No. Usually, but this shows up as comments on their articles. The point I'm getting at is nobody gives a fuck about these things mm -hmm. because it's a it's a dead wasteland that nobody visits. I, having been there, you know, eight or nine times over the last couple days, have probably given them more website hits than you know they've had in the last month. They'll be like, oh, what are we doing to get all these hits? Right, yeah. that's probably what's going on. Uh, but for example, one of these articles, which is titled "The Case Against Lockdowns," shows two comments. Uh, one of which is a pingback from the board member Michael Erickson's blog, and the other is an Italian listing, which I don't speak Italian, I don't know what this means, but I think I get the gist of it. Isteria pandemica. Il regime del terrore. Okay. Uh, I think pandemic I get the hysteria, gist. the regime of terror. I think, yeah, 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 that was what I thought the yeah. gist of it meant, yeah. you know? Uh, according to is some it other... Like, is it from, like, Mussolini for 2069? <laughs> What's the... Probably. According to some other sources I found on this organization, they mainly focus on screeching about wokeness in academia. Um, some of the things they've put out in the past, claiming that populism arose as a backlash to left-wing hegemony in Europe and the rest of the world. 
uh, and claiming that studies ignore Hispanic and African-American voters who support the Republican Party and allegedly face prejudice from the Democratic Party. Mm. Uh, of course, a Google Scholar search I did on, uh, you know, minority voters of the Republican Party produced literally hundreds of results. Um, their Twitter for this thing is basically dead. There's not much going on there. Their most recent one, July 29th post they put up on Twitter, uh, is a video, uh, 39 likes, 17 retweets, and the quote they put above it is, Nobody at universities gets silenced because their ideas are bad. They get silenced because they're not as willing to take over the administrative infrastructure to silence people. Okay. So it's just... It's, it's what you'd expect. If you look at the other individuals involved in this, Eric Kaufman, uh, for example, it's a whole bunch of anti-trans thing. Um, Eric Kaufman was recently on a podcast called The Hub Dialogues, which is like, as far as I can tell, like a populist pseudo-academic outlet who the article or the post about the episode he was on, the banner photo is, is of La Muerte, which is a Quebecois nationalist group and anti-Islam hate group. Great. That, cool. That's, yep. that's what no, it is. That tracks. Yep. Yeah. And they're just talking about, like, it's titled, Sociologist Eric Kaufman on why immigration is key to populism and the future of politics in our unsettled age. And it's just boring bullshit. Yeah. The other ones, right. uh, Richard Hanania is another one of these guys who's a board member of this organization. It's just him complaining about a lot of stuff. Here's a tweet from him from earlier, or actually late last night. Reading about DeSantis gives me a feeling that I've never had about a politician before. Like, there are things that I hate, along with half the country, and he's actually doing something about them. Mm. This shouldn't be a once-in-a-lifetime feeling, but it is. And then the other guy, Leif Rasmussen, it's just a bunch of anti-trans hate speech on his, cool. yeah. on, on his Twitter profile. Yep. Uh, none of these guys have more than, you know, a couple thousand followers. I think Hanania has like 50,000, because he's done a bunch mm -hmm. of appearances on Fox News and Newsmax and other bullshit. But, like, the, the CSPI f page has less than 5,000 followers uh, on... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Basically, the so, whole gist, the whole very, gist... Very neutral, yeah. The whole gist of all this is that nobody gives a fuck about this organization. None of the work they're done... Except. ...has any rigor, um, except for people who need to cherry-pick and claim that there's this rigorous information out there supporting the bullshit points they're trying to make. That's what it is. But, uh, you know... Let's, let's just see what they have to say, and let, let's look at it. So, according okay. to this study that they put out on their website, quote, over four in ten U.S. and Canadian academics would not hire a Trump supporter, dot, 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 semicolon. Only one in ten academics support firing controversial professors. Nonetheless, while most do not back cancellation, many are not opposed to it. Remaining noncommittal. Right-leaning right academics experience a high level of institutional authoritarianism and peer pressure. In the United States, over a third of conservative academics and PhD students have been threatened with disciplinary action for their views. What views? Right. Name the views. Would be kind of important always, to clarify what that means, wouldn't it? Huh? Yeah. While 70% of conservative academics report a hostile departmental climate for their beliefs. Which beliefs? In the social sciences and humanities, over 9 in 10 Trump-supporting academics, dot, 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 say they would not feel comfortable expressing their views to a colleague. 
semicolon. More than half of North American and British conservative academics admit self-censoring in research and teaching. Younger academics and PhD students, especially in the United States, are significantly more willing than older academics to support dismissing controversial scholars from their posts, indicating that the problem of progressive authoritarianism is likely to get worse in the coming years and a hostile climate plays a part in deterring conservative graduate students from pursuing careers in academia. The other thing I would say with all this is it's all self-reported, right? So, like... Well, why don't we take uh, a look at their study, Ben? No, but I just want to say, admit self-censoring. Well, oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course. This claim, is all claim, yes. claim to self-censor but, is what the... You know, that's the, the actual thing. So I mentioned that none of this is peer-reviewed. I mentioned that it's sure. just posted on their website. I mentioned that this is just five guys complaining about academia. I mentioned that nobody gives a fuck about these people or what they do. They have basically no presence in the real world. Why don't we look at what this study that Mark is quoting from actually is? And let's mm-hmm. just take a look at, at, I don't know, methodology, which is something these people sure. complain about a lot in the social sciences. If you mm-hmm. look at it, they complain about how nobody is rigorous in their research. That's what the CSPI is complaining about a lot. Yep. Well, for their uh, study, they relied on several sources of information. One of them uh, is a study done by YouGov, so you know, they just took that information and uh, and used it to extrapolate into whatever they wanted. But because, of course, that YouGov poll didn't provide all the information they wanted, they had to do their own surveys. So he did a UK and US mail-out survey, and I believe he also, it's in a different part, but I believe he did the same for the US and Canada, to academics at the top 100 out of 143 universities. Okay. Um, and he puts... In his own study, to be fair, this is how you would report this. You have to present this methodology and let people know so that they can evaluate how good your study is. That his response rate was 2 to 4%. I don't know if you know anything about That's response not great. rates to surveys. Yeah. No, I don't, The actually. YouGov and prolific surveys that he uses for some of his other data, they had 61% to 87% response rates. Okay. Uh, and it was the, was that sorry I I I, uh, I lost the thread was that to a similar demographic so the, sample set or was it no so the YouGov and the uh, prolific surveys they went to the public he sure. did a much more specific one targeting mm-hmm. academics at these universities which to be fair I think would get a lower response rate. well I so here's the thing I went and pulled up a study published by the National Institutes of Health. Uh, and this is in the journal, uh, American Journal of Pharmaceutical Education. Uh, and this is one which is response rates and responsiveness for surveys, standards, and the journal. And what this one looked at was responsiveness rates to studies among professors and individuals teaching at pharmaceutical schools in the United States. And so what it talks about in here is that the average, you know, the, the, what the response rates should be. Especially if you're going to represent all schools, and they're just talking about schools and colleges of pharmaceutical medicine. Then if you want to accurately represent that, then, mm. uh, so the, the, the goal for most researches is 60%, a 60% yep. response rate, just for having a representative sample of pharmaceutical colleges. Mm-hmm. But for this journal that they're writing in, they're writing that about 80% should be what they're shooting for as a response rate. And further, they talk about what this, what this goes to. It's what's called non-response bias. And they say, quote, 
non-response, and remember, this, rather than the study put out by these people, is a peer-reviewed study that made its way into this journal. <laughs> Fun stuff. Non-response bias is a deadly blow to both the reliability and validity of survey study findings. If a survey achieves only a 30% response rate, the study suffers from a non-response bias of 70%. If the response rate to a survey is 20%, the non-response bias is 80%. Brick and Calton suggest that one way of dealing with lack of responsiveness is to weight the study sample segments to reflect the greater population attributes. However, the universe of pharmacy faculty members is too diverse and segmented for this to be a viable option for pharmacy education research. So these guys are admitting... Or they're saying in this that if you have anything below, you know, and the two examples they're giving, 20 and 30% are the bad response rates they're giving in this article. And just for mm-hmm. pharmaceutical colleges, you can't correct for that, according to this study. Uh, this guy thinks that his response rate of 2 to 4%, which is the one where he's acting, asking his questions to academics of all universities— a larger sample than just pharmaceutical colleges, the top mm-hmm. 100 universities of 143 that he identified. He wants us to pretend he can present information that's statistically significant? Mm-hmm. So, all that has to say, I don't trust this fucking study he published. That's fat. But, even if we accept that all of his results here I are legitimate, even if we accept it, all of that makes complete sense to me. Thirty, A third have been threatened with disciplinary action for their views. That that about tracks with the level of conservative views that are fucking reprehensible. So- Sorry, also, <laughs> the other thing, is that 2% of conservative professors at the top 100 colleges, or is it 2% of all of professors at the top 100 it, colleges? It is a third of conservative academics and PhD students in the U.S. No, no, that no, is no, what no, he says. Was the response rate, did he only send it to conservative people, is what I'm saying? No, he sent it to 2%, all of them. He, that, okay. that, that's part of the problem, right? That's what I'm going to say. If it's who 2% is, who of is going conservative... To who is going yeah, to respond? It's exactly. most likely, overwhelmingly, going to be people who give you the answers you want. Exactly. Therefore... That's where that non-response bias I was going to say, in. if it's 2% of conservative professors at the top 100 universities, that's one guy. Right. That, and, <laughs> like, and that, <laughs> well, and that's what I'm talking about. That is what non-response bias is. That's what I'm tr- I was trying to describe yeah, by yeah, going yeah, into yeah, that exactly. article you, a little you, bit you, and explaining you. it. So, but even if we accept that, still, fuck them. Fuck them. I don't give a shit. You have not pointed out anything that is wrong whatsoever. 30% of views, what? It, it's probably anti-trans shit. We're probably talking about someone who tried to pull a Jordan Peterson. That's and again, it's self-reported. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I censored myself. Oh yeah, did you? Yeah? Like, yeah. okay. The next one we get is a study by FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, which is a much <laughs> more legitimate operation. More yeah. legitimate. I think they go too far in screeching about bullshit that conservatives care about. But to mm. be fair, they also pursue claims where people on the left are discriminated against for their speech. Fire does. Um, I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but they are, to be fair, an actual, nonpartisan, plain, just free speech organization is what Fire is. Uh, I think they're a bunch of dumb, dumb libertarian types. I'll say that, but uh, they actually do. And so they did what I think is a much more legitimate survey, where they found that 46% of students recognize that hate speech is protected by the First, percent, first Amendment. Uh, 48% think that the First Amendment should not protect hate speech. And 58% think that it's important to be part of a campus community where they are not exposed to intolerant or offensive ideas. 
That's the, there's a couple other things. 30% have self-censored, I think is one of them. And that's another thing is he keeps complaining about this self-censoring. People don't want to be dicks. That's what self-censorship is. There's, mm-hmm. there's an element of self-censorship, which is recognizing Li- that what you're saying society. is a dick thing to do. Yeah, living in a society is self-censorship. It really is. It's, it's really strange. But Levin says about all this, quote, Unfortunately, taxpayer-funded elementary and secondary public schools have not escaped the politicization of thought and learning. In fact, they are now the target of such authoritarian efforts. And now we go into a woman named Diane Ravitch. Who he, he quote he doesn't talk about her much more beyond this. Also, page I will I will just say, whatever you think of the situation, one of the biggest self censorship that happens on campus is about Israel. Sure, like that that is one of the biggest things that people self censor about. I would say. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I would also say that you know as far as conservatives censoring themselves on campus, um, we're talking about them not using racial slurs out in the open. Yeah. Or not yeah, using. Yeah. That's a little bit mean of me although it is in some part fair what is more what is actually a larger component of it probably is homophobic slurs they, <laughs> they want to use homophobic slurs and they have to censor because they realize that that's not acceptable but they think it should be that's what we're talking about for a large portion mm-hmm. of that right because nobody gives a fuck if you say that you think tax rates should be lower we just laugh at you ah, that's dumb we don't agree right yeah. it's the other shit that is the reprehensible stuff yeah, that when you're you directly realize. attacking people right that tends to be when we're right. like yeah that's that's you can't that's say where that. we go you need to shut the fuck up right yeah. so uh diane ravage finally we're getting a woman uh you know one of the few in this book who is not a far-right sycophant uh this is a woman mm-hmm. who i think has some bad ideas but she's you know she was appointed by george hw bush to the education department and then reappointed by bill clinton she has some bad ideas about, you know, what matters and what doesn't matter. But she wrote a book in 2004 called The Language Police, mm-hmm. where she just complains about textbooks and censorship and curriculum. And she says, quote, censorship distorts the literature curriculum, substituting political judgments for aesthetic ones. Because of the bias and social content guidelines, editors of literature anthologies must pay more attention to having the correct number of count of gender groups and ethnic groups among their characters, authors, and illustrations than they do the literary quality of the selections. So it's just a complaint about diversity. In, in yeah, but also, like, every professor's um, personal aesthetic leanings right. are going to influence like we've talked a lot about aesthetics yeah, recently haven't we? yeah that's true <laughs> every professor's like preferences influence what the class gets taught so right. you know I, I i have limited amounts of sympathy for that yeah because everyone I, don't, finds I don't care different about things that statement that's, yeah, I, exactly. I agree with you i don't think it's a good statement but i'm just saying that she's not necessarily a far-right ideologue like most of the people we get quoted no as well. fair enough but levin says next quote today matters are far worse Children in classrooms throughout America are being indoctrinated with critical race theory. White children are taught that they were born privileged and advantaged, and students study lessons prepared by the disgraceful New York Times 1619 Project, semicolon. He's really got a, a thing up his book. Yeah. Black Lives Matter. you laughing at me using semicolon. Yeah, yeah. Black Lives Matter, an openly Marxist and often violent organization that actively seeks the elimination of capitalism and the American governing system, is celebrated. Moreover, in school district after school district, teachers are being trained to confront their white privilege and taught to refocus their knowledge of history to accommodate CRT. Oh, no. It's just like, you know, this could be a Chris Rufo article is all this could be, right? It's the same thing. And we've heard all those same complaints before in this book. He's not adding anything new here, really. But there is one interesting new thing he's talking about here where he says, and there is more. 
the UN, the the one well, UN hold on, climate just quickly, yeah. quickly before you do, you know you've won the argument when you're when you're like slam dunk drop mic moment is one need only scan the internet <laughs> for endless examples. <laughs> yeah it is really great it's another version of his etc really i think yeah and so on and so and there forth. is more the one un climate change learning partnership also known as one uncc learn is a uh, collaborative initiative of 36 multilateral organizations working together to help countries build the knowledge and skills they need to take action on climate change Sinister. It produces learning materials and advice encouraging schools to indoctrinate children into the climate change movement yeah, but it, and again, he gives all these examples, and it's basically like, hey, how does what I do impact other yes, people? And he's like, all, evil! It is all, hey, we live in a community. Uh, how do we deal with that? Like, it literally is. Some of the things, so he's got big block quotes from, I guess, some hey, materials. Hey, future generations are going to have to deal with our yeah. actions. How do we think about that? He's got big that? block quotes from some of these materials. I, I think, presu- I didn't look at the uh, citation in the back of the book, but produced by this UN climate change learning project. And I don't know if he added the, the italics or if this is from the original document, but the things he's italicizing here, I think are like sort of, you know, like questions to ask after you've read the, the reading selection. For example, yeah. how do their actions affect the environment? How do changes in the environment then affect others? Why should they care about recycling or sustainability? Communism! <laughs> Communism, Benedict! affecting others next one he has italicized how are their community and there would be the students how are their communities Mm. working to be more sustainable what policies are governments putting in place and how might students push for more it is not enough to simply teach students about the science behind climate change students need to also learn how institutions and individuals deal with problems of this scale and how they fit together into the larger picture communism To be to be clear, Benedict, he Benedict, write Benedict. Yeah, okay. that kind of thinking, that kind of thinking leads to the Holomador. That's uh-huh. that's that's how you get Ukraine being starved. That's how you get it. Yeah, caring about no, others, Benedict. Again, this is Mark Levin complaining that again we live in a society <laughs> like the literally that that's the thrust of this whole bit of the chapter. It really, like you know, if Mark Levin could have. A version of the Unabomber's shack, but maybe like I don't know, a little more square footage. He might yeah, be and happy he'd have to have life. a microphone at least. <laughs> yeah, you he, know, he can't, he can't, as long as he's able to Mark yell, Mark can't be writing. Yeah, no, he needs to. He needs to have a mic. <laughs> writing is not his strong suit. I mean, I have had less than a, a seven hundred square foot apartment for the last several years, and I'm able to record a podcast in it. He can do that too. Yeah, he'd be just fine. Yeah. No problem with that. No, he'd be rather right. than the fucking mansion I'm sure he lives in. But uh, he continues saying, quote, we're moving on from schools now. The ideological indoctrination and conversely censorship have spread well beyond formal educational institutions and the subjects of race and climate change to corporate America. And he's quoting this uh, New York Post business columnist, Charles Gasparino. I don't know if you've heard of him before, um, who wrote an article titled How Corporations Surrendered to Hard Left Wokeness. Corporations who, by the way, right now are reporting record profits. Yeah, yeah. This guy, Gasparino, by the way, fun fact about him. In the past, he has promoted himself online and in various uh, forms. I think he said in an interview once as a Pulitzer Prize nominee. Benedict. Mm. Can you nominate yourself for yes, the Pulitzer you can, Prize? Benedict. Okay, yes, you cool. can. Yeah, that's, uh... There are sometimes you'll see legitimate journalists or outlets who are promoting themselves as Pulitzer nominees. And generally what uh-huh. that means is they made it past 
the selection process to the final. I'm uh, in the honorable. Well, mentions they made it somewhere. to like the final, you know, because one person wins yeah. the prize, but there is a, a yeah, collection yeah. of people who made it to the final. A short list, right, right. if you will. That is when people promote themselves as a Pulitzer nominee, right? He did not make that. He just had no. somebody go write an email and now says he's a Pulitzer nominee. It's great stuff. Yeah, this is like when Dom- Donald Trump was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Is that yep, all same over thing. Again, right? Same like, thing. But yeah, from his yeah. article, quote, uh, they were run by executives who were proudly, and this is about companies in the past, who were proudly capitalist and believed in the country's founding principles. No longer, it seems. Big businesses' support of green energy legislation, various social justice edicts, and the silencing of right-wingers on Twitter. You know how, like, Kraft has come out and said they support silencing right-wingers on Twitter, Benedict? You know how that's no. a thing? Have become so no. routine, it's almost not news anymore. The left-wing forces have assembled to transform corporate America into something resembling the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. The- yeah, you know what that's called? Manufacturing consent, <laughs> bitches. Deal with it. Let's go. <laughs> They've never read that fucking book. No. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean... No, no, but you gotta let me read the last line of that. You gotta let no, me read no, the last well, line okay, of that, which fine, is glorious. Fine, fine. Go on then, let me it know. It is, right, go, the go, left go. might hate capitalism, but it has been busy implementing capitalist tools to bend big business to its will. Exactly. It's free markets. <laughs> That's it. If you want to compete in the free market, you have to do what the public wants. And the public generally wants, the majority of the public wants wokeism. So sorry. <laughs> Are you trying to take back wokeism from these people? Yep. <laughs> It's mine Take now. back something we never used in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, God, this guy's ridiculous. Like, how can you read that and take it seriously? Really? Like, Who the de- the Democratic, but the businesses of this country look like the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Yeah, mm-hmm. they hate cap. The left hates capitalism, but they're using the tool. But and we all know by the left, he just means you know Nancy Pelosi. Also, Come ah, on. yes, the left, the, the shareholders of this country. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Mark continues a little later down the page, quote, Indeed, a reign of ideological terror has spread throughout our society and culture, canceling and banning people, parenthetical, professors, teachers, writers, acu- actors, executives, reporters, etc. Historic mm-hmm. figures. And then, and, okay, here's the weird thing. Why did he have that parenthetical with the list? And then after he closed the parentheses, continued the list. Do you see what I'm talking about there? He has that list of people. And then historic figures, monuments, movies, television shows, radio broadcasts, books, cartoons, toys, other products, product names and brands. I think think he's he's trying to give examples of modern day people who are being canceled. And then he sees historic figures as a second. Maybe. I don't know. But then he says, even president Trump was banned from Twitter, Facebook and alternative social media communications. That's such a fucking leap. Such a fucking leap. (laughs) He was canceled. Benedict Trump was canceled. You know how he's not constantly still on TV all the fucking time. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But he says, quote, So egregiously threatening to our country is this noxious and widespread war on free speech and liberty. And so... Okay, pause. I want people to guess what he's about to say (laughs) following that entrance clause. So egregiously toxic is this... What is it? So egregiously threatening to our country is this noxious and widespread war on free speech and liberty. And so quickly is it transforming American society that Mm -hmm. I want you to guess Uh what follows the that, Uh because there is no way in a million years that anyone's first guess will be what Mark Levin has decided to write about. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, here's your answer, Benedict. (laughs) That 
on July 7th, 2020, 150 <laughs> mostly left-wing authors penned a public letter in Harper's Magazine titled, quote, it's the fucking Harper's Letter. A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. <laughs> Which is such a like a minutiae detail in the great scheme. Of, I like, I had forgot about that fucking letter until he listened like to this book. Yeah. I yeah. think most and of us like, fucking forgot about that because nobody yeah, cares. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, no one cares. I mean, like, okay, Noam Chomsky was a uh, signatory to that letter. A fact he highlights for his point mm-hmm. here because you know mostly yeah, left wing commies. Some, some cool people. Some cool people signed that letter. I think David Blight signed that letter too. I like David Blight. Right. I like and Noam a lot Chomsky. of people went. Like, Hey, that was a dumb fucking letter. And we moved on. Yeah. And I think also, like, different people signed it for different reasons with different motivations. Mm -hmm. Noam Chomsky loves to debate literally everyone. So I understand why he would be like, yeah, we should have open and free debate. That's fine for Noam Chomsky. Not great for everyone. David Blight, same. Well, and I reject the premise that we don't have open and free debate. Uh, yeah, I, that's we true. do. We very much but also, do. Also, like this just un- uh, this undermines his argument of like the left hates free speech because then he's like the leftist signed a letter. <laughs> so like, which one right. is it? It really does. But I'm not. He has a big quote from the letter. I'm not going to read it. We don't. Need yeah, to. don't. Read it. But he says boring. immediately was, after it, which is great. Answer. Quote: One wonders how many of the signatories have supported Marxist movements like Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Dumb. And then you know he says uh, it didn't matter because. Big tech has continued censoring people, so, yeah. Sure. And then we get this thing from the Media Research Center, which, if you don't know, mm. was basically... Another neutral-sounding... Well, it was an attempt for the right to counter the fantastic work that Media Matters does by mm-hmm. just putting on their own bullshit supposed media watchdog. But, A, even the right hasn't cared about what it does because it does a really bad job of it. And, B, mm-hmm. like okay, you're not going to be... Media Matters does criticize mainstream media. Like, I don't know if you realize this. Mm -hmm. Media Matters writes a lot about, you know, center-left media in the United States. CNN, ABC, all that stuff. Yeah, I would guess most people don't realize They really, they write about, you know, how they're getting things wrong in reporting on, you know, what the right does. They write about, uh, you know, things where CNN, ABC, whatever, have uh, distorted the truth. But obviously their focus is on the right. All the Media Research Center does is just be like, hmm, Look at this out of context clip. Dummies, <laughs> dum dums. Look at those dumbos. Bunch of dummers. This is my summary of Media Research Center. <laughs> but this is a, uh, from a report by the Media Research Center where they said, quote, During one of several Senate hearings into big tech bias in 2020, even the CEOs of Facebook and Twitter could not name a single high profile leftist person or entity that had been censored on their platform when asked. And and I realized when I read that I can't either, actually. As a matter of fact, I, I'm gonna I'll be honest I can't. So I went and looked at the list and I saw, for example, this was a funny one for me. Talib Kweli has a permanent lifetime ban from Twitter. Did you know that? What did he do? <laughs> he had a permanent lifetime ban. Free free time. What did he, he do? He was apparently. It goes back to like a dispute with a lawyer and harassment. And it was just like Uh, a bunch of shit posting about this fucking lawyer. (laughs) But I found that very funny. But also, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Because, uh, A, the things that the right says are much more egregious. Just, Just on a complete, absolute, objective level, right? The right is far more likely to engage in egregious speech than the left in general. Is just as a general proposition. Uh, are there people, I think, on the left who should have a Twitter ban? Probably. Probably mm-hmm. are. Um, but the fact that 
Twitter and Facebook and those outlets are more uh, engaged in dealing with, you know, fucking white supremacist hate speech than fucking dumb, dumb, lefty, uh, crunchy granola COVID deniers is not a huge issue. For- and there are actually, you know, I should be here. Um, Naomi Wolf, right? She was vaguely leftist. Uh, and, uh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, and got heavy into COVID denial. She has a lifetime Twitter ban, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, for COVID denial stuff. So sure, I can yeah. name off the top of my head one person. <laughs> so we do have one. Uh, but then he continues, quote, or this is from the article. Moreover, heavily censored themes included anything related to the election. False. False. Anything related to the election is not heavily censored. There is one no. specific topic related to the election, which is censored. Which is, or I wouldn't call it censored. I would call it, you know, uh, uh, things you can't say without getting in trouble for lying. Uh, And that is Mm -hmm. denying the results of the election, right? Uh, COVID-19 and the response to it. Again, lies about COVID-19 and the response to it. And Mm -hmm. statements released by President Donald Trump. Yeah, man. Yeah, after he was banned from Twitter. (laughs) Yes. And then there is this list. Uh, 2020 top 10 list demonstrating the various offenses that caused them to sanction free speech. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to talk too much Neither about this, I. but these are all They're dumb. They're all very I will dumb. I tell you that. And I think, yeah. so I think Mark might be misciting here because I found this, I believe, posted earlier on a website called Newsbusters, which I know is related to oh, the Media Research right Center, but... Super right yeah, way. Yeah, uh, but I'm not sure where it was first and all that stuff. It doesn't particularly matter. Uh, but anyways, so the only one that I care, like number three, Candace Owens' Facebook page is demonetized and suppressed. Yeah. And that was after she did something very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Praise Nazis. Uh, yeah. That was say it. They, they, you know, if they just wanted to do Nazism in Germany, it would be okay. The problem was yeah, if they went to other places. When she was like, yeah, Hitler became a globalist. <laughs> that was the problem. Uh, Woo-hoo. Cool, yeah. uh, Twitter said... <laughs> the problem is, what she didn't realize is that Hitler wanted the whole world to be Germany. Yeah. That was the problem. Yeah, yeah. Twitter censoring Trump's tweets about mail-in voting. Okay. Yeah, come on, man. The fucking lies. They're fucking lies. But the only one that I found interesting enough to spend 30 seconds on was number 10. Instagram bans ads for Senator Marsha Blackburn's children's book. That's like a very specific It one. is very specific. Uh, and it's actually one that he talks about paraphrasing earlier, which he describes as an innocuous children's book celebrating women's suffrage. So apparently Blackburn's mm. daughter wrote a children's book about Tennessee being the last state to pass the constitutional amendment that allowed for women's suffrage that, that finally got it over the hump to be put into law. Um, and mm. the reason why Instagram, he described it as censorship over that, but they, because it's Blackburn's daughter, originally they said, oh, this is political speech, this is electioneering, and we need you, you know, we're not going to allow these ads unless you go through the process and register as a political organization. They then let her do the ads. End of story. Because they reviewed it. Because they have an automatic process, an automated process. That's the thing. A lot of these come from automatic flags. That then get the decisions the, get reversed. I have, That's uh, the thing. Once or twice done Facebook ads for this podcast. And if you even put in the word conservative or right wing, it will flag it and not allow you to post those ads yeah. unless you either go through an additional review process or register as a politi- political related group. The, it's just an. Mm-hmm. That's, Which we are not. That's, by the way. That, that's what it's doing. And that's just a dumb complaint. That's a dumb complaint. Mm-hmm. Because even the article that he's quoting. 
says that they eventually allowed her to do the ads without having her register as a political organization. They just had to go through the review process. So fucking dumb. But the next thing he gets to, Mm -hmm. January 31st, 2019, Project Veritas released a video. Okay, I don't have to take this seriously. We have to do an episode on Project Veritas at some point, and I have something in the works for like, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do that episode in particular about, but it's going to be something relating to you know, intentional distortions of information, something like that, how they've done that over the years. But Project Veritas, we just plainly know can't be trusted. Like, they, they've made that very clear. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, even Fox News doesn't do Project Veritas stuff anymore. Project Veritas has doesn't to go to yeah, Newsmax yeah. and OAN and Infowars before they can hopefully get enough attention mm-hmm. to make it onto Fox News. Whereas back in the day, they were just headline news on Fox, Right. Literally, they have to go to InfoWars yeah. first. Like, li- literally. That's not even hyperbole. I've seen James O'Keefe on InfoWars multiple times, which should be another, you know, indicator of how reliable they are. But this is a video that they released from a meeting with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook executives, in which here's uh, part of this, I think this is an article he's citing to, but it says, quote, In the January 7th video, hmm, January what happened then what what was the day before what could have prompted this zuckerberg is seen accusing then president trump of subverting the republic because he doesn't say it's so important that our political leaders lead by example make sure we put the nation first here and what we've seen is that the president has been doing the opposite of that dot 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 the president intends to use his remaining time in office to undermine the peaceful and lawful transition of power. I wonder if they had any evidence of that on January 7th of unspecified mm. year. Actually, it is specified. Yep. It's, he, well, he released it in 2021. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I always get it confused when we say 2020 election, and then I think, wait, when was the yeah, inauguration? Yeah. So January 31st, 2021, that video is released. I wonder if Zuckerberg had anything to back up that statement on January 7th. Benedict, mm-hmm. questions remain unanswered. Uh, yep, many The only questions. other thing in this whole Project Veritas report that made me chuckle even was Facebook's vice president of civil rights, and this just goes to corporations are fucking stupid, said, quote, mm-hmm. I wonder whether or not we can use the Oculus to help a white police officer to understand what it feels like to be a young black man who's stopped and searched and arrested by the police. Absolutely the fuck not. Shut the fuck up. That is so fucking stupid. (laughs) What if we just tortured people? But then he gets to this report by the NTIA, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which is like a sub-bureau within the uh, Commerce Department. Uh, And this report Mm -hmm. was released in 2021, I believe, or maybe it was leaked... And eventually, it was like released when it was, or leaked when it was in draft form or something, and then eventually released, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But, so basically what this looked at was the role of the internet in hate crimes. And this report found that banning speech on the internet uh, is not, or or, I'm sorry, that speech on the internet is not uh, related to a rise in hate crimes. So... What we find as we read the next couple of pages is that the port is drawing a distinction between hate speech and hate crimes. Um, Mm -hmm. Bennett, I don't think anyone, anyone with a working brain could deny that the existence of the internet has led to a rise in the propagation of hate speech. Could we? Okay, 
Okay. No, I don't think so, so in Mark Levin, what it's much easier to fling slurs. What Mark Levin is trying to, to put forward here is as long as it doesn't lead to an actual crime, why would we do anything about the speech? Why would Facebook or Twitter or YouTube do anything to curb hate speech on their platforms as long as it's not leading someone to go out and commit a crime? Is mm-hmm. the gist of what I'm picking up from what Mark is putting down here. Did you did you get that same vibe as I did? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a stupid bait and switch. It is. is, is all this it is. is. Like, it's, yeah. uh, but he also says next, moving on a little ways, Big Tech also went to extraordinary lengths to try to destroy a small entrepreneurial company. And Benedict, you and I, <laughs> you and I are no friends of monopolies, are we? We are That's no right. friends. That's right. No, of big no, companies no. trying to destroy small entrepreneurial outlets. We definitely are opposed to that. Continuing, <clears throat> Parlor, which was cr- no nope, destroy the shit out of it, kill it, <laughs> which kill was quickly fire. gaining a following of millions of citizens who mostly did not share the ideological bias, political partnership, and censorship practices of those huge multi-billion-dollar you know corporations. Once again, you know what that's called? Uh, the free market, mm, baby. Free market. Uh, but do you recall, in any circumstances, what happened to Parlor or why? Yeah, there was a bunch of racism on it, and then the, the and then it was um, used to plan January sixth. Yeah, and then the tech companies were like, "Hey, yeah, uh, we, we like, don't hey, if you guys don't moderate do your anymore. platforms, we're not going to allow you." And they said, yeah. "No, we're not gonna do any of that." So they, but didn't also allow we are gonna moderate. You can't insult President Trump or the parlor <laughs> founders. I loved that so much. Like they, yeah, yeah. It's just, oh god. Oh, this next bit was so annoying, too, where he just misunderstands, well, misrepresents political donations. Yeah, so he goes into now, uh, quote, Big Tech's ideological and political preferences can also be established by examining the political donations of their executives and employees and which candidates and party they subsidize and invest in. And, like, just to start off, does he think that Big Tech should then be forcefully indoctrinated into conservatism? Is that his idea? Okay, but he points out. But anyway, it's employees at which he says repeatedly. Right. But like individuals are free to do what they will, Mark. Right. Who do those companies give to, Mark? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those both companies sides. give to both sides because they realize that laws mm-hmm. are going to be made by both sides, and they need the favor of both sides. Which is fuck. Mm-hmm. I've been when I was a cat when I worked in catering. In yeah, DC, that's bad. Which it should all die. When but... I worked in catering in DC during law school, I was at an event where Google handed out checks was in the room with members of the, the, Repu- the just the Republican members of the judici- the House Judiciary Committee. Like, I was there as Google handed them envelopes with checks in them. I was there giving drinks to people because I was working as a bartender. Like, mm-hmm. God damn it. But then he says, uh, the Biden administration and big tech, it's an incestuous relationship because Biden gave these big tech company execs jobs in his administration. I'm not in favor of that either, Mark. And I'm one of those Marxist no. leftists you're here for. We, we, we don't like that. We think that's a bad thing. No. But also, like, people change jobs. It's not because they worked in big tech. It's I because mean, they worked the for a huge The fact that they worked in big tech probably had to do with whatever job they got put into. Probably yeah, they had maybe. But I, I mean, honestly, but still, mostly, mostly it's like they go from the comms department at a big tech company. Right. But to I would like for less big like, tech people. I would less for, like for less, you know, corporate drones to be pulled into government positions in a political positions in an administration i would like for less Mm -hmm. people who were highly placed in corporations 
to make their way into uh, yeah, uh, you know, the fair. administration. I would just be in favor of less of that is my thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, then he gets into complaining about AOC, of course. Uh, AOC, I think I remember this tweet where she was basically asking if anyone is archiving all these Trump sycophants tweets and whatnot. And then... Yeah. To which I would say, stop taking notes on a motherfucking criminal conspiracy <laughs> on the internet if you don't want your shit archived. Yeah, maybe don't put out heinous shit if you don't want to be called out for it. And that's, I mean, the gist of all this complaining about canceling and whatnot is just, why shouldn't people judge me for the things I say and do? <laughs> I mean, that's what it breaks down to. It really. is, yeah, it's very silly. Yeah, no, you're right. And then complaining about the black mis- blacklisting of Trump and Trump administration officials, and then in, you know... If he could, he would have put this in much smaller font than the rest of the page after rioters overran the Trump the Capitol building. <laughs> yeah, I underline that. Uh, and, and he's also got the storming of the Capitol building later, he calls right. it, when he's talking about Alinsky-esque taxes. Mm-hmm. So his, clearly he was feeling a certain kind of way when he wrote yeah. this that he no longer identified. Well, then with. we get what he calls the most chilling and blatant example of this war on free speech, which is congressional representatives writing a letter to AT&T, Verizon, Roku, Apple, Amazon, etc., asking why they carry outlets like Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax that spread blatant disinformation. Mm-hmm. That's the most chilling and blatant example of the war on free speech. Yes. Sure. And he cites, okay. so this letter cites, and Mark wants to take issue with, a report by Media Matters, uh, which they inaccurately describe as a study by Media Matters, it was not, mm-hmm. uh, which no. <laughs> uh, listed or said that they found nearly uh, 1,300 examples of misinformation by Fox News uh, in the calendar year 2020. So, mm-hmm. or actually, a media watch here, a media watchdog found over 250 cases of COVID-19 misinformation on Fox News in just a five-day period. Blah blah blah. And they, uh, Mark says, quote, the Congress people fail to mention that the media watchdog is the notoriously dishonest Media Matters, a radical left-wing pro-democratic site. The Daily Caller found that they, quote, did not provide the methodology used to establish each instance of what it identified as Fox News misinformation for independent review. Uh, it further concluded that the report itself was filled with misinformation. Ooh. It's not a report. I mean, it's a report in the sense that, you know, something put out by a news organization is called a report, but it's not a report or a study. It's an article written by Matt Gate. or I'm sorry, my, <laughs> I just did in verbal form. You did what you did it. You did the tweet. What is tweet regularly tag, yeah. done to him on Twitter and which he Poor suffers guy. for so greatly. Matt Gertz, G-E-R-T-S or T-Z, which is unfortunately one letter off from Matt Gates. So anytime Matt Gates does something, he just lives in a world of hell on social media for a few days. Um, but uh, this is an article he put out, which is titled Misinformer of the Year, Fox News. Mm. And basically, it's just him saying, we're calling Fox News the Misinformer of the Year this year and providing a bunch of examples of why. That's what it is. The Daily yeah. Caller, in their article on this, strangely enough, Benedict, I don't know why this would happen, didn't link to the original piece they were criticizing. They, yeah, okay. Mark Levin, in this book does not provide a citation to the original link of the article he is criticizing here. Huh. Why would they not do that? I wonder why. Because they don't want you to read it. I wonder why why that would be the case. Uh, They do mention, the Daily Caller article, but Mark Levin does not, that there is a companion piece 
to the article, Misinformer of the Year, which lists about a thousand pieces of misinformation put out by Fox News in the calendar year 2020. So I went to that, of course, and it provides a lot of pieces of misinformation put out by Fox News in the year 2020. Listed, uh, there's 1,011 by my count uh, of, okay. of various instances of misinformation by Fox News. Every one of them listed with a link to either the Media Matters article about it or the direct source of information on Fox News' website. Uh, Dave the Caller, you, you remember, said that they didn't provide examples of the misinformation. That's what media, what Daily Caller claimed. There are thousands of examples of this misinformation. Thousands of them. Just mm -hmm. thousands. It's ridiculous to me. Just I'll just I'll do a random scroll and pick an example here. Mm -hmm. uh, Tucker Carlson accuses LeBron James of inciting violence. I would say that's a valid example of misinformation. I'm assuming it's because Tuck LeBron James said something regarding Black Lives Matter. That's probably, probably yeah. what he said. Uh, Carlson promotes an anti-abortion myth about black genocide to downplay police brutality. It's clearly misinformation. Clearly. Mm -hmm. If you want to relate those two things in any way, it is misinformation. Um, uh, let's see. Let's just go to the election. Let's find something about the election. Just do a random... I have a, a very fantastic mouse that has a scroll wheel that if I just flick it, it'll keep scrolling. Like, yeah. I fucking love nice. this mouse. It's so great. It's really amazing. Um, Jason Chaffetz falsely suggests that Trump already won re-election, saying that Trump is up nearly 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania. So the falsely claimed that he won the... That it's a list of misinformation. Newt Gingrich declares, I believe Trump probably did actually carry Georgia on Fox and Friends. Misinformation. Yeah. These are all examples. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little more sympathetic to that there, one just because he presumably wasn't hosting. There are... Like, that's just him coming on and saying things. There are some things which are opinion-related, which are, mm -hmm. you know, uh, quote, Tucker Carlson says people blaming the police officer for repeatedly shooting Jacob Blake are attempting to inflame fear and race hate. That is, you know, I would call that misinformation. Because yeah. I don't think that's what it is. Uh, you, the, the, pro the problem also is the, de the definition of misinformation it, is kind of true. Squishy. It is true. Yeah. But there are also many solid misinformations. Uh, right? There are many that mm -hmm. are just solid misinformation. Uh, Fox mm -hmm. medical contributor Mark Siegel criticized with COVID-19 surges for rolling back reopening. So that's, eh, that's more. Let me, let me just find. Here we go. Carlson says there is no evidence masks help stop the spread of coronavirus. That's misinformation. Mm -hmm. There is evidence of that, right? Mm -hmm. It's just misinformation. Just plain up. Yep. That is a false statement he is making. So there are plenty of those sorts of things too. Uh, it's just, I'm, I'm just, it's bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, continuing on, uh, Mark complains about that a little ways. Uh, really dumb. And then he pulls up. Also, this this was a letter from two senators. Right. So like this is the most chilling, you know, it's hardly like a fucking policy platform. Yeah, and then he gets to a uh, CNN article written by Oliver Darcy. And if you don't know about Oliver Darcy... They hate Oliver, Oliver Darcy. Darcy is a media... So, he's a reporter who covers the media beat. And generally, that means covering he's the a, right with the yeah. media beat. Because that's who's doing the line. Not always. Not always. Not, not always. I've seen Sometimes Oliver Darcy write about, he comes, about know, he ABC with, yeah. and other outlets and stuff. But, in mm -hmm. general, it usually means covering Fox News and those outlets. Because... That's who's Often. putting out the lies, right? They're just lying all the time. Uh, but Oliver Darcy wrote, you know, about the fact that Newsmax, OAN, and Fox, 
they get most of their money for being carried on these cable packages. And we all know this yep. has been a big thing in the last year or two. People trying to say, hey, DirecTV, I would pay more if you would not give me Fox News and not give them any money from my subscription. I'd be willing to do that, by mm-hmm. the way. I would pay an extra dollar a month if it meant that I didn't have Fox News and they didn't get any money from my cable subscription. That'd be great. I'd be outstanding. Mm-hmm. But what I think Mark is most mad about here is that he gets name dropped by Oliver Darcy in that piece. I think is what he was probably most <laughs> probably, angry yeah. about. He's like myself included. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but so he's mad about the fact that these people want to have them taken off. He calls this Alinsky tactics when he's talking about Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times, basically writing about the same thing that people should, yep. you know, see if they can have Fox taken out of their cable packages and whatever. And then uh, we get to basically the last couple of pages here. And this is sort of a weird attempt to summarize everything he did and also not that because he's a very bad writer. But he says, quote, Mm -hmm. In fact, banning people, speech, words, broadcasts, and social media access and redefining language, history, knowledge, and science, all of which are occurring or pursued in the current culture and environment, are the trademarks of totalitarianism. So too is the routine and unchallenged abuse of power and undermining of republicanism and constitutionalism by President Biden, who legislates via executive orders, thereby bypassing Congress and the Constitution's checks and balances to institute fundamental change to the American society without input from the people's representatives in Congress or the people themselves. I finally tried to put on my Mark Levin. You really? At the you, end there. Yeah, you did good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really like. Ran out of breath at the Cut end it. and started Go. yelling louder and louder. I think maybe that's it. Maybe he's always out of breath. I think that might <laughs> I think be think that's yeah. what he really has going on. But, so, I, the last whew, two pages are all one paragraph. And... Oh, Jesus. Aren't yeah, they, yeah. right? Um, I decided I'm just going to read all of it because it is a crazy mess. So, you know, mm-hmm. stop me whenever you want to make a comment. But I'm going to try and read through okay. basically this last entire paragraph. Uh, I'm actually going to, there's a one, you know, a two sentence paragraph before it starts. I'm going to read two. But that's what we're getting to now, which is the end of this. Where he says, mm-hmm. quote, hence Marxist Senator Bernie Sanders uses the qualifying adjective democratic socialist. Even so, as Sanders knows, to the communist, such a phrase is no more than an essential stage on the road to communism. Ah, oh, yes, Bernie, Bernie the, the communist. communist. Let's go. Final okay. paragraph now, beginning. The wave of repression sweeping our nation is not unlike the earliest days of the French, Russian, and Chinese revolutions, among others. <laughs> Who was doing the repression in those early days, uh, would we say? All Carry were on. promoted as popular movements and people's revolutions, intended to establish Rousseauian communalism or Marxist egalitarianism. <laughs> you like that? You like that desperate attempt there? Rousseauian communalism. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But, but that is where the similarity ends. These revolutions were sold as liberation movements, where the masses or the proletariat would rise up against the governing tyranny and corrupt society. They became genocidal police states, of course. Unlike, or, there was a period there, genocidal police states. Mm-hmm. Of course, unlike these other governments and societies, America is a constitutional representative republic. Not a democracy. Uh, not a yep. monarchy or other form of dictatorship. There is no widespread dissatisfaction in the country. Why do you keep saying there is then? You keep being like so many people are dissatisfied. Well, you know what? Go back to, and it's not a direct one-to-one relationship, but go back to what we talked about in fascism with the enemy Mm -hmm. being simultaneously too powerful and not powerful. 
Yeah, right? that's true. No, I think there's right, a relationship right. there between that idea that he's, he's putting on. Uh, there is no widespread dissatisfaction in the country. In fact, most Americans are patriotic and revere the country. But the forces of false liberation today are led by fanatical ideologues and activists who are the real purveyors of tyranny and even totalitarianism. They use propaganda, sabotage, and subversion in an effort to demoralize, destabilize, and ultimately destroy the existing society and culture. It is they who are repressing the liberties of their fellow citizens through what is loosely called the cancel culture. The cancel. Which is in quotes again. <laughs> that is what, like the fifth time he has called it yep. the cancel culture? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is they who demand conformity of thought by banning differing viewpoints from social media. It is they who use the false narrative of oppressors and oppressed to stigmatize those who claim as part of the white dominant culture and silence the voices of fellow citizens. It is they who are banning words, books, products, movies, and historical symbols. Benedict! Who's banning books? Nazis. Yeah. Who's banning movies? Nazis. Yeah. It's the... Okay. You say Nazis. (laughs) I said in our last episode that the Republican Party are not Nazis. I said it. I said it. The party, but maybe the Republican Party is banning books and movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite literally. Quite literally. And historical symbols. Okay, we know he means statues. We know he means statues of no, 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 no. Also the Confederate flag. Oh, also the Confederate flag. Yes, yeah, true. It is they who are destroying the careers of doubters and boycotting the businesses of nonconformists. The careers of doubters. He's talking to like firing. COVID-19 deniers or people who refuse to get mm-hmm. vaccinated or wear masks. Also, it must be what he's talking when about. When it comes to boycotting, literally in the next chapter, he's going to be like, we should do boycott, divestment, <laughs> and sanctions. So. Well, you remember how Dinesh's <laughs> Dinesh, book, yeah, yeah, our yeah. first book, Our First Love, was all about how fascism is really leftism and then ended with, let's do fascism, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know. To get these leftists. I get yeah. what he's going for there. Yeah, yeah. It is they who are undermining academic freedom and intellectual curiosity through fear and intimidation. Again, who is banning textbooks? You. It is you. It is they who are distorting American history and brainwashing students. Again, who wants to ban the teaching about slavery and what Mm -hmm. happened to slaves and what happened during the Civil Rights Movement and the Tulsa Massacre? Who wants to ban those things? Mm -hmm. The Republican Party. Uh, It is they who demand the deplatforming of cable news networks and the muzzling of hosts. And it is they who are using and promoting racism, sexism, ageism, etc., as weapons of disunity and rebellion. I don't think he's talked about ageism at all in this book, in any, in, even in a distorted way. I don't think he's talked about that at all. No, I don't think so. I don't recall that. As weapons of disunity and rebellion, while claiming to want to end them. Even worse, they're using America's freedom to destroy freedom and the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. And as their poison spreads throughout the culture... The intent is to sow doubt about the country, dispirit the citizenry, and soften the public's innate and reasoned resistance to the point of acquiescence to the tyranny of the Marxist-inspired and related domestic movements. Wow! Hell yeah. yeah. Okay, he he had a poetic thread going there and then fucked it up by trying to, because he had to broaden what he was saying. Because he knows this isn't actual Marxism. 
So he had to go with Marxist-inspired and related domestic movements, which really just throws a damper on your on the, attempt on the rhythm of the sentence to yeah, end in a poetic up. manner. Yeah, 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 really bad. But anyways, better yeah. that is the end of chapter six. Who boy? Who boy indeed? Who boy? A back to the crazy that we know and love, right? Yeah, there was a lot of great crazy in that one. I there think. Was, that was yeah, really fun stuff. But uh, did we learn anything in that chapter? Uh, no. It's the Mark. Well, yeah, I, I didn't learn it, but Mark has nothing new to say. <laughs> you know, I will say there was some things we hadn't gotten before, right? Mm-hmm. There was some stuff we hadn't heard before, just particular particular details. Nothing new as far as the narrative goes. I'll give you no. that. There's nothing yeah, new yeah. as far as the narrative goes. But anyways, that's this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to Patreon.com, become a patron, patron, a patron, a patron. for as little as $1 an episode, for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Polly Hauptman, Melissa C., J.D., George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hellman, Utah Outcasts, Paws, Brent Lee, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw! Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasby, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Tacannon, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com